Hello, my friends, Nigel here, and welcome to Backable, the podcast where we explore the top performance habits in both business and life. If you're a business owner, one thing you're never short on is advice. Whether you pay for it or it comes from a trusted source, someone will always have an opinion on what you should be doing. But is all advice weighted equally? Today, Tim and Alana sit down to discuss advice and advisors. We look at the who to, when to, and how to of your advisory team. And perhaps most importantly, what is our role and responsibility in the process to ensure we get the outcome we want? It's a really great episode. Hope you enjoy. I have to admit that I have a general disdain for advisors, business coaches, pretty much anyone, consultants, for a very long period of my life. Now, the irony is owning a performance consultancy now, I've had to recalibrate the value of a great advisor. And maybe I should admit with a little bit of maturity and a little bit more experience in business that you see what a great consultant is, what a great advisor is. And the problem was is a lot of them get tarred with the same brush. And it's not right because as we're growing our businesses and Lana and Nigel, we've done this many, many times, you have to grow your advisory team. And it is essential that you have some form of advisory if you're a smaller business. As you start to get bigger, you might choose to have consultants come in and do specific projects or overlook the business. But when we're smaller and we're probably outsourcing a lot of different types of advisors at different times, we actually have to work out how do we get the most out of them? Because we've had this experience, Alana, particularly in the early years where we didn't really understand the role that we'd taken or that we'd given to some of our advisors. More importantly, the accountants early on, particularly when we were just new to it and we were starting up and we were wanting something and we were sold something, but we didn't really understand their role. And you had this experience, it was like a a brick to the head really around when we had a challenge in our business financially, what we thought the accounts were doing were not exactly what they were doing. I personally gave much too much responsibility to the accountant and not enough to myself in the early years. And then as I grew and as I learned more, I realized that I was requesting things that the accountant should have been giving to me. And so that's where I had the change when I knew I needed a change in advisor. But at the very beginning, I definitely didn't understand the role that they played and thought that by having one meant that I didn't have responsibility. Yeah. So let's pick it up from there because this is the point of the discussion today. And listen, a few of you will probably look at your phones right now going, oh, you know, I want something a bit uplifting. I promise you this is going to be uplifting because if you get this wrong, you are in big trouble. It's only a matter of before you hit a wall that you can't recover from. And the reason why this is important is because at every stage of your business development, you have to relook at all the advisors on your team, not just in your business, but in your personal life to realize whether they will be the ones to take you forward. So give you an example. When Lana was talking about the accountancy there, we didn't know what we should expect from an accountant because we didn't even really know what are the different services accountants do. So this is years ago, by the way, and we're just trying to dumb it down now. But what is an accountant meant to do for you? How many times should you speak to an accountant in a week, a month, a quarter, a year? What should they be providing you? And if you've never seen 
the depths or the different services different accountants provide, you'll never know. So you'll think this is what an accountant does. You won't know if it's the right accountant for you right now. We're not going to beat up on accounts, by the way. This is talking about if you're an accountant now, you should be thinking, "Mm, I wonder how our communication from our practice is. I wonder if we're educating clients at different stages in their business life of what to expect from our service. But when Alana and I were dealing with this, it was our fault because first of all, accountants aren't responsible for numbers. And a lot of people are going, what do you mean? That's their job. They are not responsible for the numbers. You as the owner and Lana, we as the owners needed to know every single number and what it meant in our financials for our business. Yes. And I think we've had this discussion before about responsibility. The accountants might give you the numbers and they might put in their little notes as to what the numbers mean from their point of view. But as a business owner, it was 100% on you and me, Tim, to know the numbers, to know what they meant and to make decisions off the back of them. So I should have been sitting with the accountant asking questions to get to the answer that I needed. Yeah. So that's stage one, which is identifying what you don't know about your numbers and having an accountant that'll educate you through that process. And this same sort of idea that we're talking about can be applied across the board. So if you're building a website, similar sort of thing. While someone might be building your website, you are still fundamentally responsible that what's built gives your business what it needs because you know what the business needs. Yeah, you need to be able to ask the right questions to that supplier to make sure they're doing what you need at your stage in business. But I want to jump back to the account because it's a perfect example of not all accountants are created equal, but they're all called accounts. And for smaller businesses, let's say you're sub $2 million businesses, the role of the accountant's going to differ greatly. So when you're new to it, what you're looking for is compliance. What does compliance mean? Whatever your state and federal taxes are, are up to date because that's a legal responsibility of running a business, right? So it's really simple. I go again an accountant. And the biggest thing I'm interested in in the early stages is how much is this going to cost me? That would be a natural smaller business when they're starting out. How much will it cost me to stay compliant, do my taxes? And that's the evaluation. And then as you start going along in that business, you're growing. You've started that relationship with that advisor being the accountant. And that's the relationship. But actually, you've grown and you need to start thinking about different things, which is forecasting, tax minimization at different times, the cash flows that you have to navigate, some of the benefits you might be able to receive by your numbers. But the accountant, unless they're a competent accountant, generally doesn't do that transition with you. They are used to this person just wants compliance, so they're doing that. So what we're talking about today is how do you evolve and bring your advisors with you because it doesn't mean they can't do it. It's no one really sits down and has the conversation until there's a problem. But if you don't know the stages of how you're going to evolve as a business, how do you even know to have that conversation? So what we had to do, Lana, particularly in that situation is talk with the accountant about what does our journey look like with you? The problem with that was they had no idea what we were talking about, right? No, they were happy in compliance. (laughs) (laughs) They were a mum and dad accountancy firm. They're a suburban accountancy firm. And we'd grown into their product and service, which is that's all they do. And they were happy with that. We had the discussion of what does this look like? They were slightly confused, which meant to us, because lovely people, not the right fit for us for where we wanted to grow our business. So we gave them the opportunity and we spoke with them. We didn't just say we're popping off. They didn't want to come or they couldn't come along. So we had to go and find a new advisor. 
Yeah, it's the same thing with lawyers. If you've had a family lawyer or, you know, we always use this person, there's something fundamentally wrong with that because not all lawyers do the same thing. And it's starting to educate yourself on what do I actually need for my business right now? And is this the person for it? It's not their fault to try and solve your problem if they don't truly understand what you're trying to do. So that comes down to that bigger problem, which is, do you know where you're heading? So let me give you an example. If you have only the intention of growing your business so you can buy investment properties, your accountant should know that. So they can plan accordingly for your business may never be sold. It may never do anything but produce an income for you so you can use the money for investments. That's great. That is the piece of the puzzle that account needs and then you can evaluate. So how would they go about doing that in terms of best set up for you, the way we should do it, when can I buy a property, having the forecasts around that if that's your game plan. If your game plan is to grow an organization and get an exit, i.e. you sell the business at some stage in your life, well, how am I structured for capital gains taxes or whatever your local taxes are? But it's not what they're doing. It's having the relationship where you can sit down and talk about your plans with a clarity that you then can align the responsibilities for everyone in your advisory group to do what they can do best to give you an advantage. And I know that that was always the biggest mistake I made at the start personally, was I compartmentalized them with this is the information I'm going to give them instead of giving them all of the information about my plan, what we were going to do so that they could tell me the parts they needed to know. And when you have an advisor or an advisory group, it shouldn't be up to you to cherry pick the information you're going to tell them because that means that you're quite often going to pick the stuff that makes you look good. It's just human nature. You almost hide the gaps that you might not be aware of as opposed to giving them everything or asking them, this is what I need to tell you. Is that correct? So that they can advise you on the information that they need. Advisors of advisors. Absolutely. And you have to be clear on the problem you're trying to solve with that advisor. So as I said, we're just talking about accountants because everyone can relate to it. At the start, you're looking at basically your tax and obligations as a business owner. For our accountants now, the conversation starts with how are you going to make us money? So that's a big difference between the start, which is how much is this going to cost me to do my tax, to you need to explain to me how you're going to make me money and then we'll decide on the fees. Most people might not have even thought that, what do you mean the account makes you money? They show me exactly what they do to justify why they should be part of the advisory group for my group of businesses. And they also do it at the start of the financial year, not at the end. So part of their justification they do it both. Is the planning. <laughs> they don't just look at everything at the end and say, oh, here's how we're doing your tax. It's actually planned. And so that's part of the value that they give us is that here is what we're going to be hitting. Here is what success looks like. Here is what I need from you, but we're doing the grunt work. Yeah. So one of the roles I play or when I was working directly with clients is I would sit with all their advisors and grill them. And I would sit and I'd ask the question, Bob, you're the accountant here. You have been for 10 years. What are you doing next with this client? What is the client's goal? And the poor account would look, they go, I'm not sure. They just need their tax done and go, well, we need to evolve this conversation now and work out if you're the person going forward. And clients are already very resistant because they go, we've been using Bob for 10 years. He's a really nice person. Having a nice person is not a great advisor. What you want is a nice person and someone who is absolutely proficient in where you're at as a business 
and taking you to the next level in their area of expertise. And if they haven't yet asked you for that plan or that goal or what it is that you're doing, offer it up for them. So not saying go and fire all of your advisors because they haven't done this. Offer it up to them. And if they don't jump on it or if they don't get better or grow with you. Or generally excited about wanting to be part of that journey, why should you give them your business? Yeah, absolutely. So this is the thing. It's the same. I see it with clients all the time where they need some legal advice. So they go to a lawyer that's been recommended by a friend and the lawyer is way too big for what they need. So they get a bill for the first consultation that would have solved the whole problem they're trying to solve if it's a smaller business and vice versa. Someone who's heading into a big contract goes to a mum and dad lawyer that hasn't had experience in that type of contract and wonder why there's problems. And this is, it's not beating up on accountants and lawyers, by the way, because we can also talk about that as consultants, business consultants and things like that. It's about how are you managing your advisors and how do you see their role in your whole business and personal life ecosystem? So let me give you an example. If you're one of those people who go, no, I've got this covered. I'm about to switch off. When's the last time they all caught up together? And the answer is going to be maybe never. So why not? And this is a big one because if you have a team and they're all on your team trying to get you to your goal and they've not met, do you think that's a problem? And how often should they meet? Because a lot of smaller businesses now with a lot of enthusiasm go, I want to meet weekly. No, 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 no. (laughs) Because that's when your advisor should drop you because you're not spending enough to demand that sort of service. So you have to work out where you're at, what you need right now, and who will be able to help you get there. Then I ask the question, which of my advisors makes everything sound complicated? Because I know they're the ones that are getting out of their depth. Now, that sounds very arrogant, but my advisors meant to simplify things for me. If I don't understand it, then they have failed in their duty because they're the advisor. And I think what you're talking about there is an interesting part of it, which is the tipping point. So when do you know you're not doing your role in it? Versus when they're not doing their role, because you know Bob could be a great guy, but if you've done everything that you should be doing in order to take responsibility of the books and the numbers, how can you make that decision? Or what is that tipping point where you say, you know what, Bob might not be right for me? How do you take that next step, or how do you even know? Yeah, and that's in professional services. We're talking about accountants and lawyers. Let's look at it marketing. You might have gone and got a website done, and you say, well, hey, I've got this beautiful website. It's all done. Why is no one buying off it? Oh, well, that's not a website problem. And people look stunned and go, what do you mean? It's a nice website. I go, with no traffic, there is no transaction. I can go and build you a beautiful store on High Street, any High Street in the world. And if there's no foot traffic, it doesn't matter how nice your store looks, no one's going in. It's not going to transact. Whereas a lot of people assume that the website is for e-commerce. It's a piece of the e-commerce part. It's The same with your accountant or your lawyer. For an accountant, compliance is one part of the whole story. Accounting can do financial management, CFO work. There's a hundred different things, but you need to become aware of what do I need right now for my business and what else could I get from you? This is one of those big questions. What else could you sell me is something I ask my advisors. Tell me what your best client gets from you. I want you to tell me everything. So I can look at it and go, oh, that would be nice to have. It's definitely not now because I can't afford it if that's the business it's going through. But now I understand what they actually do. And this is the point. If they're not performing well, it's your fault. And on that, we had a very interesting discussion with a digital client last week. 
and there was something not quite right in the relationship. And we've been with this client now for five years, which in agency world is a long time. (laughs) And I picked up the phone to her and we were talking and it got to the point where she informed me that their internal teams were so busy that if we ran two campaigns at once, they simply wouldn't know which lead came from which campaign. Now, this was, we'll say it was three weeks of trying to get to what the problem is. The relationship was such that it was on her to inform us that their team was so busy. Like, how would you ever know that a team is busy if you're not getting information back? So her as a business owner, we needed her to communicate this to us because there was a really easy fix as the problem solvers, as the consultants. But on our side as an agency, we had to pick up the phone and get past, we're running advertising or whatever it is, and get to the crux of, but what is your business doing? Because it's within that level of, but what is your business doing that your advisors really can make that difference? And that's where, and it's not even an upsell, it's a, here are the five things or the five levers we can pull to make sure that that's not a problem. But it's that importance again of that two-way street that we've spoken in another podcast about relationships. Your advisors have to be a two-way street of giving from both ends so that the whole picture is known because that's what's going to actually progress your business. I agree. If you're in an advisory business out there, maybe there's a few red flags coming up from you now around your education to your clients around their journey with you. So I meet a lot of advisors, obviously, in the type of work that we do and the companies we have. And this is done so poorly that there's such an opportunity for advisors that invest time in it, which is how do I show someone who doesn't quite understand what we do yet, how I'm going to get them from where they're starting to where they're going. That should be an advisor's basically part of their mandate for every client, which is educating. Every business, by the way, should be doing this, but particularly it's poor in advisory and you hear this a lot. My clients just don't understand what we can do for them. Okay, well, obviously you haven't educated them or they don't value it, one or the other. I assume it's the education first or you've got a bigger problem, right? But this is the, the whole point, isn't it? Because you will outgrow your advisors at some stage and you need to work out when that stage is and plan for it. doesn't mean you just use your advisors as you know in, out, in, out and burn them all. This is about understanding your journey and what they can provide and what level they can get you to. And this is also in your personal life. I get really worried a lot of the time because people ask, hey, can you recommend a good accountant or a good bookkeeper or a good tax person? And they're not in business and they're like, my last one charged me this. And already I know that, ah, so the way you view your advisor is transactional based on the money amount cost you to do an income tax return or something like that. For me, it's a big red flag because I don't know people like that. It's not the way I deal with my advisors. But people are happy because they got to lodge their tax for a low rate, but they don't know what they've missed out on and never will. So they're surrounding themselves with lower level advisors wondering why they can never get ahead. So one of the things you need to look at in terms of advisories, not just the professional advisors we have around our business and our personal life, but also where some of the very best and absolute worst advice comes from. And this is in our personal lives, right? We might have Uncle Bob, Uncle Joe. I'm just saying names and making sure I don't have an Uncle Bob or Joe. <laughs> Sorry, Uncle I'm Bob. Getting, love you, mate. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what do we listen to about that? And, and even now, our family, our mums and our dads and our friends, brothers and sisters, closest allies, they're the ones that can be the source of the absolute worst advice. 
And you have to also have, as a business owner, you have to actually have a management process for free advice. And it's very, very important because a lot of the time when we speak to people, they're always quoting a family member who's done this and been successful. And you've got to be as careful when you're navigating these types of conversations because when we look at it and go, well, here's investment advice, not that we give investment advice, but they talk about, should I do this because Uncle Joe did this and he's really rich? And they go, yeah, but he's 94 years old and he's basically accumulated because he could have bought anything 50 years ago and he would have done well. He's not smart. He just bought something, right? Not that that's a bad strategy. I'm just talking about you need to be clear on what you want. So I was talking about with my friends. We go and we set our plans and we advise each other. We talk about how we view the plan, how they view our plan and things like this because it gives us a very nice differentiation in opinions on how someone else sees what we want to achieve in our life. And knowing those people well, you can also understand their advice. You can then use the filter of how they live their life because you know them so well. So some of the advice is brilliant, but it's also not what I want in my life. It doesn't mean it's not worth considering, but you have to temper that. That's the challenge when we have our families. So many people who are choosing a different path than their families, which is they might have started a business where their family have only known being in professional jobs for a long time. Lana, you're a perfect example. Sorry, I just said that and realized you're one. You're one. You. you. <laughs> My family is so confused by what I do. <laughs> no, be respectful. They were confused at the start. Why would you do it? But they were very supportive and absolutely backed you and you could do anything. Oh, Yeah. But they've come from professional environments where they've always worked for someone yes. in some way, shape or form. So the perception of running your own business is a high risk strategy. And so what that means is probably most conversations have lovely catch up and somewhere in the middle will be dropped. So how's business going? And it doesn't matter how good business is going. There's still a level of, but are you sure? Yeah. And so knowing that that's where they come from, a lot of the advice that can come through is through the lens of, but are you sure it's okay, as opposed to make more, do more, be more, because there is a level of risk in their minds associated with it. So I know that any advice that comes from my family is through that lens of, we don't fully understand what you're doing, even though we fundamentally support everything about it. Our advice is still a different risk level or a different risk factor. Yeah. And it's not just a risk factor, is it? It's because everyone tries to calibrate others' from their filter of the world. So my dad had his own business. He was a truck driver. Now, what I would refer to that is that he was self-employed. He had a business by all means of a structure and what it is, but he was a self-employed owner-driver. That's different than running a trucking company. And so when we talk about business, the point of reference is around a self-employed person versus growing a business. But that's not clear. And a lot of people who are in sort of environments where their family may have run a business, they may not have actually run a business. They may have been self-employed and understand the work. They might not have got the financial rewards they wanted. They might have got the financial rewards they wanted, but they're using their frame of reference. So we've been talking about how you need to manage your paid advisors, but you must manage your personal advisors. You must be brutal around that, which is some of the time the problem is they care for us too much to give us the brutal truth. So they're supporting us because that's what they can do and that might be all they can offer at that time, which is more than they should have to offer, by the way, anyway. That's just a nice to have. But for those of you who don't even have that, it can be a real disadvantage because actually the truth is not given. So you have to look at where all your advice is coming from and work out whether it is the right advice from the right person 
who has the track record or experience to actually advise on that area of your life. And the same also goes if you're in a business partnership. I know Tim and I are each other's advisors in business, in life, same as family and mothers and fathers and whatnot. It comes from a place of often love, but you and I are lucky that we can be really brutal with each other when it comes to the business. And I know we've spoken about this before. A business partnership is so important, but you have to have those foundations really strong to be able to have those tough discussions. And so when you're surrounding yourself with advisors, that's what I always look for personally, is that person who is going to tell me the truth. They're not going to sugarcoat it or make themselves look really good. They're the ones who say, you've messed up these levels or you've done really well here, but here is the next step. Yeah, it happens the same with investment. So a lot of people go, that sounds like a great idea. And if you ask, great, do you want to put money into it? Oh, I'm unsure. Why would you be listening? You don't want to get advice from places that haven't got skin in the game. You learn this and we've learned this starting to really move into some different investment is you never trust anyone without skin in the game for investment type things because why would the person wanting the money not have their own skin in the game? There's something fundamentally there and the old excuse of, oh, I just don't have the money to do it. Well, there's another red flag, right? Not that you don't have the money is where do you hurt if it doesn't work? Because we all have to hurt. That's the point of skin in the game. It's the same with advice. Oh, you should definitely do that. Would you do that? Oh, if I had time. So what is it and why do you feel there's value in that advice? But that's for all your advisory team. And I think that's why advisor is such an interesting topic. And we started off the podcast, advisor paid service. And now we're moving into advisor opinionated. Yeah, well, the opinionated is the expensive <laughs> advice because it costs you nothing. It just takes away years of your life. But it's quite an interesting group that we're talking about because as you grow older, as you grow further in business, advice is also the paid advisors and the free yep. advisors. <laughs> Who are you listening to? Who are you surrounding yourselves with? As simple as you know, yearly medical checkups. That is an advisor and that is an important part of your, I don't even know what the word is, it's an important part of who you are as a business owner, who you're surrounding yourself with equally as who you are as a person. Absolutely. Health and fitness, for instance. So not only the medical checkups, which is, hey, when's the last time you went to a doctor when you weren't sick? Okay. And I'm just seeing a lot of look at me going, guess who you're getting booked into your, um, <laughs> your health check? Because that's part of managing yourself and surrounding yourself with what you need to get the most out. So what are we buying with medical checks? We're increasing the odds of life extensions, right? Not perfect, but at least you're putting the energy into somewhere where at least I'm looking myself. I'm not trusting my GP. And this is all due respect to GPs. GPs are brilliant, but they're generalists. That's what a general practitioner is. Like the numbers with an accountant, you have to take control of your health and fitness. No GP will ever be able to diagnose something that you don't tell them about. You need to understand what feels right, what feels wrong. I used to explain this when I was in the fitness industry for people who were fit. I said, one of the byproducts of being fit and being finely tuned in your body, as in you work out when you wake up, why am I a bit tired? When I go to sleep, why am I feeling like this? Or when I'm doing exercise, why am I short of breath? When you've got that level of understanding of how your body runs, you can pick up things faster than a doctor because you know when something's not right because you're finely tuned. It's like if you have a brand new Ferrari, you're going to know if something's not quite right because you'll just feel it. There'll be a vibration, there'll be something that's not there, it won't have the same amount of power and you'll work it out. 
It's the same with your body and it's the same with your business. All your advisors need to be there so when you feel like something's not quite right, you know exactly who can advise you. And that's when you know whether your advisor's the right person for that time because if you take the question to them and they can't answer it, well, maybe they're not right for that time. doesn't mean they're a poor advisor, by the way. It might be you need a specialist. When we break down people's lives, we sit there and go, great, let's look at all your advisors around you. And people are like, um, well, I speak to Uncle Joe about my finance and, um, and I know I think I've got a bank manager. And you go, what's the biggest challenge right now? Oh, I'm not really good with money. Like, Great. <laughs> Why don't we start with finding, it's not paid advisors, let's find people who are advising you. Nigel, we had a really interesting chat a few years ago when we were just talking on the whiteboard around how to sort of invest in properties and finding equity and doing that. And what was a very simple conversation, but it was new information because your advisors have never bothered to sit down and go, hey, if this is your ambition, this might be one pathway in which you could do it that's currently available to you. Yeah, my ambition was outside of the scope of my advisors. That's not the way that they had generated their wealth or how they'd gotten to where they were. Yeah. And it actually worked counterintuitive to the way that they would. Yeah, and that's when you know the advisor is basically sharing their reflection of their world and it's not their fault. This is about taking that responsibility of managing advisors. I mean, Lana, you've got the same thing. We, we have a debate, which it's a nice way of saying argument. It's not an argument, but it's- Discussion. Discussion. Lana's got- It's going to get her fired up. I don't know, just like what I, he's going to talk about my back right yeah, now, isn't Lana's he? Lana's had a bad back for 15 years and, she, and this is her common line, but I know how to manage it. Well, if you did, you wouldn't have the problem in 15 years. So for me, you're- 12 years too late, right? So when I- Yeah, my I'm the one who gets fiery. So I get fiery. No, because I don't want Lana in pain, but it's the fear is wrong. Whatever it is, is wrong. Unless you accept that the level in which it needs to be, which is maybe fair, by the way. Oh, no, but this is a really great example of everything Uh-oh. we're talking about. It's actually in your favor. Um, <laughs> so have had a bad back for 15, 20 years and have had scans, x-rays, ink injections, physio, everything possible. And without knowing it, what always used to happen is my hand would sit on my hip when I was in pain. No one checked my hips. This is in 15, 20 years. Poor advisors. Yeah. And these were some of the best. Just no one checked my hips. And I went to what would probably not be the greatest practitioner, but this person dealt with my hips and straight away I felt relief. Then what I did was I went off to another practitioner who was a bit more skilled and a bit more um, medically trained, and I'm further along than I have been before. But it's this idea of I didn't know it wasn't right, but there was something intrinsic in me saying my body was telling me where the issue was, but no one else could find it. It took Tim getting involved, my advisor. With an agenda. (laughs) (laughs) To actually change things. And it's really, really difficult when you think I've got Uncle Bob or Aunt Jo helping me out to be okay to leave them. But if you know something's not right, I remember with my accountant, I asked them for the P&L. And he said, why would you want to see the profit and loss of your business? Now, that was a really obvious, this isn't right. And sometimes it's not so obvious, but I'd been with this person for three years and they'd got us out of a lot of drama and they'd really helped us. But the hardest thing of what we're talking about here with advisors, free or not, is knowing when you've outgrown them 
but knowing that you have also done your job. As I've said before, it's up to me as an individual to share the story. The current accountants that we've got, for example, we share the story and they constantly are able to help us move forward. And just can I jump on that? Please. With those accountants, we've also now structured a way in which we feel most comfortable to work. So we have periodic reviews of our personal and business life integration to make sure that what they're doing is aligned. That is a different level for us because things are becoming more complex, right? There's more companies, there's more opportunities, there's more money, all these sort of things. So you have to change the game with them, which is this is what we now need to feel comfortable, even if it's not what they normally do. And this is taking back control of what you need versus what it is. If we jump to Lana's back, it is unacceptable to still be in pain this many years after. It means the solution hasn't been found in an acceptable way because she's a young woman. You can't, in the first third of your predicted life, have this pain and say that is an acceptable outcome. Even if you have to throw out everything prior to this, you have to start again with none of the opinions that were a part of this still problem. So that's where I obviously can hear I get fired up (laughs) because it's the wrong logic for dealing with this. It's unacceptable to even accept it on any level, right? And Lana's more than capable of, of managing this herself, but actually she's not. And what actually has to, no, because at this stage, if it was a business transaction, you'd look at and go. Oh, I'd be fired. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> but that's unacceptable for the pressure it puts on you every day, the energy it takes. And it's not easy when you're talking physical stuff because we've all, I'm sure everyone here has also had ailments. It's not about chronic pain. It's about if you accept that as the level and stop searching with a veracity to fix it quickly, you're going to have the same problem in other areas. Because the same with business people, they accept their accountant for 10 years, even though they knew it sort of wasn't right. And you're not allowed to make that decision. And just like with business, with my back, if I'm not doing the fundamentals correctly, if I'm not stretching, if I'm not looking after myself, no one can help me. Like in business, if you're not doing the fundamentals, if you're not keeping your accounts up to date, if you're not getting contracts signed, you can't blame your advisor. And this is where a lot of times things can go AWOL, where people, they put it all on their advisor. Well, it's not my fault. But to Tim's point, have you all ever sat in a room before? Our lawyers and our accountants have sat in a room before. You just gave me a good idea. We're going to run an experiment next month. We're going to get all of Lana's back advisors (laughs) out for a dinner. I'm going to chair it around. So how have you all failed? Because it'd be interesting, right? Wouldn't it be in, in, in a non-rude way? Because most of them are really nice people and London knows them long enough. But the reality is it's the same with a business problem. You have to want the solution and you have to keep removing the bits that don't work just now because there's too many conflicting opinions and then it becomes muddied and then no one's got true responsibility over the result. So what if, you know, Lana gave a great example, if she's not doing what they say and that's actually part of the problem, then what we need to do is put in something that fixes that, right? So you either get someone to do it or you you find a different discipline. But this is exactly the same as business. You have to understand the way to manage your advisors and get the most out of them. Because let's put it the advisory hat on. Most advisors I speak to are frustrated because they can't help as much because the client won't let them in, which I think is a pretty poor excuse. But we see it a lot, don't we, Lana, which is advisors wanting to do more, but don't think the client's ready to do that, even though the client's desperate for someone to help them. Yeah. And it's the advisors. And again, we see this all the time. The advisors just keep pushing. They have to just keep pushing because they know what's right. And sometimes, well, how do you give them the pain? You're going to keep charging them. 
I keep getting charged if I don't fix my back because I keep going there and I know that it's my fault. And so you want your advisor to keep pushing, to keep asking you the question for it because that's when you know that they actually care. Yeah, it's a really key element of a great advisor is they never give up on what should happen. They have to keep having that energy. They don't accept the client just doesn't want it if it's the best thing for them. And it doesn't mean you have to be aggressive, but Nigel, we're talking about personal wealth creation. The fact that none of your advisors would sit you down and say, hey, we need to talk about the next 40 years. You've got a new kid, right? This was a few years ago. Why aren't we talking about what are the things you might like for your child? Maybe you want to set up a trust. Maybe you want to put away something for education. Maybe you want to put her something so she can go traveling when she's 20 years old that might only cost a couple of dollars now. But no one has that conversation. And then people get to, oh, time flies. I wish I'd put $5 a week away for the last 20 years and had a house deposit for them. Some people do that, but others get left behind because they're not doing the things that they have to do because they've got no idea even how to have the conversation. I'm not beating up on you. We're the same. Unless our advisors pull us up, we get on with what's immediate. But as soon as you realize what a great advisor does and how they interact, you want to shout from the rooftops, you need to see this person. They're brilliant. The importance of actually bringing your advisors together is that each of those advisors is an expert in their area or hopefully an expert in their area. But the impacts upon the other areas of your life, they may not know. So unless your financial planner and your accountant are talking to each other, you're not aligned in the right way. Or if you take it across to website development, if the person that's actually designing it hasn't spoken to the branding guy and having the same conversation, it's not going to match. They might get to individually good outcomes, but they're clashing. And this is where coming back to the advisors. So I have a digital agency. We do all of the digital things. The moment we're in the room with another digital agency who just say they're doing SEO, we do not talk to the client about SEO because of respect between the two advisors. Now, we could and we might have that discussion with the agency, but it's also the respect between the advisors in the room. If they've got your best interests at heart, they're not chasing that sale. That might come as part of the conversation, but again, it's your decision as the individual making sure everyone is on the same page. This agency does this, this agency does that. If you have an accountant and a bookkeeper, just say, similar thing. What are their roles? How are they talking? And if there's a conflict there because someone's trying to get your business instead of trying to help you, what is that advisor? What is that relationship? And that's really important. Lana's talking about advisors that want more business. So a lot of the time when they can provide a service that you've already got, they'll talk about what hasn't been done by that advisor. We see it all the time. It's so common. And I pull people up. I go, be very, very careful because if you're wrong here, that's the end of your advisory here because I respect you for having a go at wanting the business. But if you're trying to create anxiety and paranoia around this part of my business because you believe they've done something wrong and I find out that you've been wrong, that's the end of our tenure together because you don't get to bring that to my life. You can bring ideas. You can bring up and go, hey, I would look into this. But if I see you actively trying to pull someone down in my advisory team because you want more work and you get caught doing that, that's called the instant death. That is email sent out that we will be ceasing immediately because you know they don't have your best interests at heart. If they're doing it another way, which is, hey, can we review this or can I bring up this so we can talk through how I see it? Absolutely. That's what I actually want. I want all the advisors looking over each other's work. I see a lot of people, we had a great one a few years ago, a great one, and we were doing some work with a client and they spent 12 months and they'd actually not grown at all. And the accountant who the person spoke to once every year gave his review for the year. 
And he wrote back, I've got no idea what your consultants are doing, but you haven't grown and you've had them on all year. And of course, as soon as I saw that email, I got very excited because I also knew that that client, when they came to us, was on the brink of losing every client. So in 12 months, we'd replaced every single client that had taken them years and years and years to get. So in fact, instead of this client losing their business, they didn't lose a dollar. They'd replaced every client and they're in a much stronger position. And so when we spoke to the advisor, I said, perhaps you need to spend more time looking or speaking to your client more than once a year because you've missed the whole story and that sets you in poor light. And when I explained that, they were like, I didn't understand any about this. I'm so sorry. You know, I understand. I understand. It's like, I don't need you to understand. It's not my problem. I know what we're doing, but you're falling out with your client because you don't understand the story. And they were very proud of that number. It took 12 months of extremely hard work. They were proud. And then the advisor tried to add value by giving their commentary, but had no idea of the real story. It's okay. I used to get really angry at it. Now I look at it and go, great. That's the first indicator that in that area of our business, we might need to make a change because you need to look at the area in your business and life that aren't performing the way in which you want and then draw a line to where you're receiving advice in that area. If you don't have enough money, where are you getting financial advice? If you're wanting to buy investments, where are you getting your investment advice? If you keep having bad holidays, Who's your travel agent? No, no, I save $5 by um, booking myself online. So you look at your areas of lack and you just ask the simple questions. Where am I not getting advice that's turning into the result I want or creating some stress? So when you audit your life, your business and your personal life, look towards the area right now that aren't going the way you want. Some of them will be going in the way you want. They just need some more time and that's okay and you can recognize that. But if you feel like you've lost control in an area of your life, have a look at the advisors, have a look at where you're receiving the information, audit it and work out, is this the right place to be getting this information now or do I need to find a different voice, a different option or some new ideas? Because when you break it down to something this simple, which is, am I getting what I want here? Yes keep going. Am I not getting what I want here? Great. What's not working? It's the same fundamental process of not only getting everything you want in life, but also how you're going to grow your business and get it to a point where you can achieve your personal and financial goals. Lana, Nigel, let's do it all again next week. See ya. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for listening. And of course, if you head on over to backable.ai, you can access all the downloadables we've put together. Now, if you want to stay up to date with all things Backable and Philodomo, then make sure to join our Facebook group and follow us on one or all of the platforms you can find in the show description below. As always, if you have enjoyed this week's podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review. That's all from us for now. Have a great week and we look forward to speaking with you next week. Bye.